Hello, hello, and we are bringing greetings from Health Talk Today and Live Today Health Talk on Facebook, Health Talk Today on Anchor, but bringing knowledge and readings your way. And today we're going to start a new book. We just finished up or wrapped up uh, Is Christianity the White Man's Religion by Mr. Harris, the author, Mr. Harris. And today we're going to start on a new book dealing with our, we're going from our religion to econo econo economy, excuse me. So we left Antipas L. Harris on Christianity and now we're moving into Claude Anderson's book, Powernomics. The title is Powernomics, The National Plan to Empower Black America by Claude Anderson. And let me tell you a little bit about the author, also he has shared in, the, in his book. Dr. Claude Anderson is widely recognized as one of America's most influential intellectual and authors. His work was made, has made black history popular with all age groups. His book, Black Labor, White Wealth, The Search for Power and Economic Justice, is the foundation for programs, policies, and research solutions for the Harvest Institute, a national black think tank of which he is president. He is a regular guest on radio and television talk shows and lectures frequently to business groups, universities, churches, and social organizations on the economic and political solutions that he proposes. Dr. Anderson's experiences spanned from education, business, and all levels of government. He served as state coordinator of education for Governor Ruben Askew of Florida during the tumultuous years of integration. President Jimmy Carter appointed him to the rank of an assistant secretary to the U.S. Department of Commerce, where he chaired a commission that funded and directed economic development activities for governors. He was the executive director of two economic development organizations for the city of Miami, Florida, as the highest ranking black on the planning committee for the 1988 Democratic Convention. He awarded 37% of the contracts to blacks, a record that has never been broken. A United States Marine, he was safety and survival instructor specialist in the Marine Air. He was a certified pilot and held numerous championship titles in wrestling, judo, and karate, and was a member of the Black Belt Federation during the 1950s through the 1960s. As an entrepreneur, he designed and constructed radio stations, aquaculture, and other businesses. Some of his acknowledgments. I am deeply indebted to those individuals who over the centuries have, a, have challenged American slavery and Jim Crow semi-slavery and decried the wealth inequalities between blacks and whites that racism produced. I am also indebted to two black heroes who called attention to the inappropriate behavior patterns of black people. My writings are infused with their observations and efforts. Wealth inequity and inappropriate behavior are the two must 
most fundamental problems facing black Americans. Though it is not unusual to address the question of economic inequity, it is highly unusual to focus attention on the self-destructive behavior of black people as a whole or black individuals who mislead. In respect to self-destructive behavior among blacks, the words of two historical figures, Harriet Tubman and Dr. Carter G. Woodson stand out. Their words cut to the core of inappropriate behavior and compel us to accept the reality that many blacks are more concerned about getting along than getting ahead. Well over a century ago, Harriet Tubman spoke her memorable lines at a public event in her honor. In response to the praise heaped on her as the black Moses who inspired and led more than 300 slaves to the freedom of the promised land of the North, she reportedly said, but I could have saved thousands if they had only known they were slaves. The words of Dr. Carter G. Woodson, noted black author and historian a century later, also moved me. Woodson said, no people can go forward when the majority of those who should know better have chosen to go backward. But this is exactly what most of our black misleaders do. These two outspoken black champions from our past taught and inspired me. I want also to thank and acknowledge several other people in my life who worked directly with me to make this book possible. First, this book could not have been written without the support and loving assistance of my wife, Joanne Anderson, Dr. Joanne Anderson. I thank her for her review, comments, and for her invaluable support in so many ways. She made this book possible by keeping my life calm, peaceful, and happy. I thank the supporters of the Harvest Institute. A special thanks to Edward G. Sargent for his commitment to this project and for his encouragement and assistance in shaping issues. I thank Kevin M. Briscoe of Sarah Lomax Reese and Sarah Lomax Reese, excuse me, for their editing and moral support and Renee Toussaint for her illustrations. I want to particularly acknowledge and thank Laura Gaines for the book cover, layout and design. Her enthusiasm and creativity were incentives to the entire book team. Thank you to Dietrich Humphreys Esquire for his friendship and legal review and to Shauna Jones and the many other people who supported me as I wrote this book and started a number of Powernomic projects for Black America. Part one, how winners and losers are predetermined. So in our introduction, Despite the fact that integration began 50 years ago, black Americans remain the primary targets of conservative hate groups, police brutality, and abusive government actions. According to a Federal Bureau of Investigation annual report, blacks are the victims of approximately 67% of hate crimes, though there are only 12.4% of the nation's total population. 
with recent incidents such as 170 church burnings, black men dragged to their death behind pickup trucks in Texas and Illinois, or shot 41 times in New York while reaching for a wallet. It is not difficult to understand how the tally quickly reaches 67%. The FBI's hate crime list does not even include soft crimes like denying black people home mortgages, jobs, or the right to use the highways without being pulled over for driving while black. Within every category of socioeconomic deprivation, blacks present, represent six to eight times their proportionate number of the general population. The fact that blacks are overrepresented on this nation's welfare, poverty, unemployment, homeless, drug addiction, and crime roles is no accident and should come as no surprise. The function of racism is to marginalize black people. Racism is an undeniable factor in American society. It is distinct from and plays a greater role in life prospects than any form of gender, class, ethnic, language, or religious discrimination. Contrary to prevailing myths, America has never been a colorblind society, yet racism continues to be ignored at all levels of government while the nation's attention and resources are focused on less contentious issues. White society has an out-of-sight, out-of-mind attitude about racism and avoids any substantive discussions of, let alone action against, racism. The callous indifference, disrespect, and sometimes actual hatred that the majority society feels toward black people are creating conditions that are dangerously parallel to those in Germany prior to the Jewish Holocaust of the 1930s and 1940s. Daniel, Daniel J. Goldhagen, author of Hitler's Willing Executioners, writes about the Holocaust and the perils that can be expected when any national government permits hatred of an indefiable minority group to fester without efforts to mitigate or diffuse the hatred. When such widespread hatred goes unchecked in society, the target minority group is at risk. The racial problem in America continues to exist because some ignore the problem and others simply do not want to do. It is to the latter group that I address this book. In 1994, in my first book, Black Labor, White Wealth, The Search for Power and Economic Justice, I wrote about the structural inequalities and inequities that became part of our society during slavery and Jim Crow segregation. Seven years after that book was published, these structural inequalities remain unaddressed. Black labor, white wealth, analyzed the historical relationship between whites and blacks, then tracked how the Western world used laws, policies, and social customs to enrich itself via the unpaid labor of enslaved black um, Africans. Black labor, white wealth, documented how legal, 
political and economic advantages were passed on to succeeding generations of white Americans. These legacies of white preference effectively maldistributed nearly 100% of this nation's wealth and resources into the hands of majority society and relegated blacks to a permanently dependent non-competitive loser status. In our social democracy, many have forgotten or simply do not know that the Federalist Papers, the foundation of the Constitution, laid out the responsibility of the majority to protect the rights of the minority in a majority rules social democracy. Thus, it is the responsibility of the white majority to protect the rights of the black minority. Not surprisingly, that protection has not occurred. Instead, the white majority has made the black race a permanent involuntary minority and has system systematically denied generations of blacks sufficient means to protect their own rights and compete in mainstream society. Powernomics, the national plan to empower black America, pr proposes a plan of action for blacks to create a new, prosperous, and empowered community that builds upon the yet unrealized competitive advantages of black America. The economic, political, and educational action steps principles, strategies, and models that are offered in this book are based on analysis of the complex web of racial monopolies and other structural impediments that continue to drive blacks deeper into an underclass structure. They also come from a comparative study of the wealthy and powerful minority groups that have lifted themselves into competitive positions within the majority society. This book is a plan specifically intended for black America because no other group will support the elevation of blacks to a position of group prosperity, respect, and competitiveness. It is not in the best interest of others to help blacks become more competitive. Thus, it is up to black America to pull itself up by its bootstraps. Empowerment will not happen by chance, accident, or wishes. It will require purposeful planning. Powernomics, the national plan to empower black America, picks up where black labor, white wealth left off. It presents a conceptual framework and a plan to lead black America to political and economic self-sufficiency and competitiveness by the year 2005. The term powernomics combines the concepts of power and economics. Power is the ability to get things done despite the resistance and opposition of others. Economics is the production, distribution, and consumption of goods and wealth. Powernomics, then, is the ability of blacks to pool resources and power to produce, distribute, and consume in a way that creates goods and wealth that black people control. The facts and recommendations 
presented in this book are sometimes stark, bitter medicine because powernomics is like a strong tonic intended to stir to action and guide those people who are motivated to help black America in fundamental ways. Much of my personal inspiration for writing powernomics came from the readers of black labor, white wealth, and people who attended lectures and workshops I have presented. Many of them thank me for explaining the problems and presenting principles that should be used in crafting solutions. They then asked me to take one more step and blend my experiences and researches into a program of action that individuals and groups can follow to empower their communities. Powernomics provides that missing link between the historical analysis of the problems facing blacks and the strategies needed to correct those problems. This is not a book on how to succeed in white corporate America or how to invest one's personal funds for retirement, nor is it a volume of warm and fuzzy motivational stories about personal triumphs and successes on how to improve one's relationships with the opposite sex. This book is about a people surviving and prospering. The tone is direct and simple. I make no pretense of being objective. This book makes moral judgments and predicts that racial disasters will occur unless this nation seriously addresses the historical injustice imposed on black Americans. This book has two premises. First, those who desire to create effective solutions to a problem must understand the nature and history of the problem. Second, black America needs a national plan with how to strategies in order to move into political and economic competitiveness with America's mainstream society and its various ethnic subgroups. Admittedly, powernomics runs counter to the conventional thinking of visible and successful blacks in America today. Though the wealth and power gap between blacks and non-blacks is widening, visible and successful blacks remain committed to protecting their own personal comfort zone by avoiding association with anything that is identifiably black. Today's black leaders in many cases display some of the inappropriate behavior discussed in this book. And while many of these leaders are personal acquaintances and friends, it has been their choice to give top priority to working, not for black people, but for minorities, women, poor people, people of color, the success, the handicapped, and newly arriving immigrants. The failure of visible and successful blacks to appropriately lead the race leaves 36 million black Americans in a leadership crisis. The Powernomics Plan is offered to the nation in hopes of saving black America. It is a synthesis of my experiences in government, business research, businesses, research, and academia. Academia. 
academia, excuse me. It is necessarily subjective, contains few citations, and frequently uses first-person references. It is not intended to be an academic recitation of facts or of other authors' opinions. It is offered more informally as a roadmap with clearly marked milestones. It will not answer all your questions. Once you have finished this book, if you are not motivated to use this plan to help build a more competitive and independent black America, then simply lay it down and continue doing what you would normally do. However, for those who want to help an unjustly treated and forgotten people, welcome aboard. Accept the reality that the legacies of slavery and Jim Crow semi-slavery still exist in various forms and structural racism. Then try some of the countermeasures this book recommends. The probability is high, even at this late hour, that with deliberate actions, black people can still become a competitive and self-sufficient group in America. It was in the spirit of that possibility that this national plan was written. The following section provides summaries of the eight chapters of this book. Chapter one paints a picture of the depth and magnitude of black American social economic predicament. predicament. It examines the collective inherited advantages of being white and the collective inherited disadvantages of being black. It describes how four centuries of slavery, Jim Crow segregation, and benign neglect locked blacks into the lowest societal strata while maldistributing nearly 100% of this nation's wealth and resource power into the hands of a pecking order of European and other ethnic groups. The socioeconomic disparities between the races have evolved into modern day monopolies protected by structural racism, inheritance laws, immigration, and other public policies. These established monopolies not only guarantee white society an advantaged lifestyle, but they also predetermine racial winners and losers in a supposedly open and competitive society. Instead of being truly open and competitive, American marketplaces are dominated by powerful political and economic racial forces. Chapter two introduces the rationale for the Powernomics empowerment culture group vision and related enabling paradigms, ethno-aggregation and vertical integration. This chapter discusses the importance of having group self-interest and a sense of group competition. The paradigms of ethno-aggregation and vertical integration provide blacks with tools to alter their mindset and transform their traditional ways of seeing, thinking, and behaving in regard to racial matters. Clearly understanding the empowerment vision of powernomics and its paradigms can help black Americans make decisions that are in the group's best interests. This chapter 
also explains how the application of these paradigms is conceptual as conceptual templates can increase consistency and efficiency in race-related decision-making ethno-aggregation and vertical integration, can serve as conceptual cookie cutters that can be used to build racial unity and replace outdated passive civil rights and integration ideologies. Chapter three focuses on the importance of community and the role that communities play in fostering competitive group politics and group economies. It identifies three important elements that black people need in order to transform their residential neighborhoods from mere geographical groupings into functional communities. Once blacks form real communities, they can then use them as repositories for storing their history, culture, wealth, income, businesses, security, and sense of peoplehood. This chapter lists the steps to build real black communities and discusses how a community builds its radius of trust, cooperation, and accountability. It also stresses the importance of marketing and closing black communities. A major part of this chapter examines two of the most pernicious social systems devised to control human beings and destroy their sense of community. The first system of meritorious manunism, often called willy-linksism, was imposed on blacks in the early 1700s. This social conditioning process is compared with a system of brainwashing and was imposed on American soldiers in Korean, prison, in Korean prisoners of war camps during the early 1950s. The techniques and results of both systems were nearly identical and engineered behaviors into the target populations that destroyed group unity and reduced the communities to groups of people who functioned as individuals. Chapter four urges changes in the traditional role of schools in educating black children. Specifically, this chapter advises black Americans to take control of the governance of their neighborhood schools and redesign them around the needs, interests, and goals of black America. The premise of this chapter is that schools are producing exactly what they were designed to produce a marginally trained black laborer capable of taking orders and using his or her physical strength to entertain, enrich, protect, and comfort the majority white society. Since schools were never intended to educate black children to be self-sufficient, independent, and competitive, this chapter argues that they must begin to receive an education that is reality-based and teaches them to live, work, and compete in a pluralistic society. Implementation of the Powernomics National Plan requires that black Americans educate their youth to use their intellectual resources to help the group. To accomplish this end, 
schools and black communities must close down like an automobile assembly factory getting ready to produce new models, retool and reopen only after they're ready to accept a new role in which educational goals, curricula, teaching methods, governance and funding have been crafted in alignment with the national empowerment plan for black America. Black communities must also inspire and demand political changes in a local level regarding the methods of school governance and funding. Thus, this chapter discusses the role that education should play to free new generations of black minds from the old social conditioning so that black children can gain the skills, social unity, and human resources that compete with children from all other groups. Chapter 5 offers a new economic model to convert black neighborhoods into core economic engines for building wealth and practicing good econ group economics. It highlights how blacks have remained outside of this nation's economic booms and prosperity for centuries. An endless influx of European ethnic immigrants have entered this nation as first-class citizens and joined the majority white society in the economic suppression and exploitation of black Americans. This chapter points out how black Americans are violating every known principle of group economics. The growing wealth and income inequalities between blacks and whites, how ethnic groups build niche businesses, how whites and ethnic groups boycott black businesses, the capital and brain drain from black communities, racism in our immigration policies, and the self-inflicted damage of non-economic integration and civil rights. Chapter 6 is a how-to chapter. It serves as a user's guide to empower black communities by industrializing them. With America downsizing its industrial capacity, this chapter stresses the importance of black America building and operating its own industries to capture and control technology rather than continuing to be its primary victim. Though black people are the only population group denied the cultural, economic, and technolo technological benefits of participating in any of the world's industrial revolutions, it is still not too late for us to build our own. Based upon our consumer spending patterns, cultural assets, and market advantages, we can create vertical industries within our own business communities. This chapter identifies some of the industries that blacks should pursue. Moreover, it suggests ways in which blacks can amass capital and control consumer markets. Using the basic powernomics empowerment tools of ethnoaggression and vertical integration, this chapter describes how to construct industries by vertically linking every process from supplying raw materials at the bottom of the chain to selling the product to the retail consumer markets at the top. Chapter 7 looks at politics through the framework of the Powernomics vision 
and offers 12 principles blacks can use to win group-based political benefits. It questions the historical practice of black Americans ritualistically electing political candidates to public office without receiving reciprocal benefits, voting simply to exercise the right and failing to hold those they elect accountable for delivering benefits to black communities. The political principles presented in this chapter show black Americans how to play and win as a group of competitive politics. And finally, chapter eight proposes a, a theology of economics. It issues a call for black religious organizations to use their vast resources to enhance the earthly quality of life for black people, just as churches do for every other ethnic or racial population. Nearly every known organized religion has developed a theological doctrine to morally justify and in some cases even to support exploitation of black people. To counter the effects of centuries of spiritual and economic abuse, this chapter recommends expanding the traditional role of black churches to encompass specific economic and political activities that are needed to improve the immediate quality of life for black people. In these eight chapters and dependencies, Powernomics represents and presents a national plan that analyzes the racial dynamics within our society and prescribes new political education, economic and social remedies designed to bring about true equality between the races. The analysis and recommendations within this book are designed to stimulate soul-searching discussions among all segments of our society, particularly within the black community. Since black America stands to benefit or lose the most, black Americans must lead the way. On an editorial note, the black community in the United States is divided over whether to identify its members as black or African-American. In this book, the two terms are used interchangeably. Similarly, there is debate regarding whether the terms white and black should be capitalized. It is illogical to capitalize American Indian with the A and the I capitalized, Hispanic with the H capitalized, Arab with the A capitalized, or Asian with the A capitalized, yet not capitalize the terms used to describe the two largest racial populations in the United States. Accordingly, I have chosen to capitalize both white and black. In addition, as a writer who is black, my perspective shifts between the first and third person when writing about black people. Finally, a major premise of this text is that black people lack communities and have yet to build communities. But I frequently use the term 
black community to refer to black people simply as a population. Now, for those readers who are ready to shift into a reality mode and begin a new road to black prosperity and true equality, let us begin our journey.